I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. We're a month away from Utah's primary elections. Races, of course, are heating up. Erin Ryder is running for Congress in Utah's 2nd Congressional District. She joins us on the line. And Erin, uh, obviously, uh, a lot of heavy news coming out in the last 24 hours. And it's it's always one of those where we ask the question, OK, what, what would be different uh, if leaders were different in our nation's capital? And before we get on to some of the other news of the day, I uh, wanted to give you just a, an opportunity first to uh, share some thoughts in terms of the, the tragic events in Texas. Uh, and then what is the right balance of policy strategy uh, when it comes to things like the Second Amendment? Yeah, thanks, Boyd. Um, you know, this is just an absolute tragedy, and it has just been devastating over the last 24 hours, like you said, to watch the news and to, and to hear the stories coming out of Texas right now. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people are taking political advantage of this. That's not something that I want to do here. I think it's important today um, and, you know, for the next little while that we grieve to get nation and that we come together to really support the parents and the children who are by such a such a senseless tragedy. And, you know, while we're talking about putting our political differences aside and coming together, I think it's important that we really take a look at some of the things in our society that we really need to address. There is a real threat of hate in our society that should have no place um, in our discussion, whether that's our political dialogue or elsewhere. You know, mental health is something that's gotten a lot of attention over the last few days. That's something that we really need to address. And, you know, it's important that we recognize that we should all have a common goal here of making sure that something like this never happens again. And that may mean that we need to put any and, and all solutions on the table to talk about this and to figure out the right path forward. Because we just don't have, you know, we don't have the momentum. We don't want this moment to pass. We, we want to make sure that our children are safe and that children have the right to go to school and to not worry about something like this happening. And the parents don't have to worry about this happening to their children. So, um, you know, as, as we as we move forward and, and talk about solutions and policies, I think, you know, I want to just call on all of us to make sure that we are coming at this from that common common ground and that we're doing it together as one national family and um, recognizing it's important to set aside our differences. Yeah, so so vital. There, uh, Sadly, there have been uh, those on the right and the left and the left and the right. I'll, I'll be equal opportunity offender forever on those that are using this moment for performative politics and uh, getting a social media moment or sending out a fundraising letter. Uh, that just has no place or space, uh, I think, in the kind of conversation we have to to get to. Uh, and so as, as you look at it, Aaron, if you were there in our nation's capital on the floor of the House of Representatives, what are the kinds of things that we should be getting at? Where Where is the policy strategy uh, that might help us not, not have a thousand-page bill that's never going to pass that has a lot of messages in it, uh, but what are some things we could laser focus on uh, in terms of some good federal policy? 
Yeah. Well, you know, from a from a high level, I think that we need to have a little bit of a paradigm shift here in how we approach our policymaking. We've gotten so entrenched in the way that we approach issues that, you know, we're, we're pure red or we're pure blue and, and we can't find any common ground in the middle there. And I think what's really important is recognizing, you know, the policy ends, right? And something here like the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is here. There are a lot of law-abiding gun owners you know, really respect and revere the Second Amendment. That doesn't mean that we can't also look for solutions and opportunities to make sure that a situation like what happened in Texas does not happen again. And uh, so being able to acknowledge that two, you know, two goals can simultaneously exist in the same space in our policymaking, that's a really, really important conversation that we need to be having. And we need to be having it with our own parties. We need to be having it within conversations with our families, our friends. Uh, when we, you know, when constituents call their lawmakers, we need to be pushing this and saying, look, I want to see, you know, I am a conservative Republican. I believe in the Second Amendment. But that also means that I, you know, believe that we can find a way forward on this, and uh, and we should be able to do those things together. Yeah. So from a high level, you know, I think that that's crucial, and maybe that means that we, you know, explore, and we're exploring this from all different angles. Let's explore mental health. How do we support communities, um, and make sure that they have the mental health resources that they that they need? How do we, you know, potentially fund community violence intervention programs? How do we support our law enforcement? Um, officers? How do we support teachers in schools and make sure that our schools are safe? This is a multi-pronged approach here. There's probably not one single silver bullet that's going to adequately address this. And that's okay, right? Um, It's we, you know, so we need to make sure that we're looking at every angle of this and putting the resources where they need to, whether that's on a federal or a state level to, uh, to address this. Yeah. Standing down from the fake fights and the false choices, uh, I think there's a lot of things that can be had in those very targeted, laser-focused kinds of bills. Uh, I think there is some real possibility there for new solutions, different kind of solutions. Let's let's pivot now uh, to something I know is on everyone's mind, especially those in the 2nd Congressional District, and that is inflation. Uh, everyone's feeling that at the, at the gas pump, at the grocery store, and everywhere in between. Uh, again, looking at it from a federal policy standpoint, if you were in the United States Congress, uh, what are some of the policy solutions or interventions you'd be looking at uh, to help uh, Americans and people in the second district deal with inflation? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, we need a plan, right? There's no plan right now. What what we're seeing out of the Biden administration is a lot of reaction, right? Oh, well, you know, gas prices have gone up. Okay, so here's how we're going to handle it. And we're, and we're reacting. But there's no future. There's no plan being laid out to actually address the issue. So we keep outspending our spending, right? We keep spending money where, uh, where we don't have money to spend. And with a recession potentially looming, you know, a lot of economists are talking about a recession potentially hitting us in the next few years. It's critical that we have a plan in place to get our spending under control and to, um, to put us on a path where we can weather any economic storms that are going to hit us, including the ones that we're in the middle of now. And, you know, when I was when I was on the Senate Finance Committee and, and watched Senator Orrin Hatch as he would work with different lawmakers, he, w- he was a real statesman. He was a real master at this where he could he could bring people together and build consensus and say, look, we need to get our financial house in order. And, uh, you know, and there are times when when things are easier uh, to do than at other times. But that doesn't mean that you can't try. So, you know, I look at it as a little bit of a, a Joseph in Egypt concept, right? We, we've got our seven years of famine that are potentially hitting us and looming in the forefront. We've got to prepare for that now. And that may mean that we need to have, again, some difficult conversations about where we're going to pull back on, on government spending. 
finding other ways to, uh, you know, provide services and resources to people who need them, but not doing it in a way that we are going to be in real trouble down the road, particularly when a country like China holds so much of our debt. And, uh, you know, at this point in time, I don't think anybody wants to be under China's thumb right now. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think you got the right phrase of the day, outspending our spending. Uh, Only Washington could do that. (laughs) I think you got that (laughs) absolutely right. Erin Ryder is running for Congress in Utah's 2nd Congressional District. She's a corporate attorney, worked as a law clerk, as she mentioned, on the Senate Finance Committee under the late Senator Orrin Hatch. Uh, And a lot of great lessons there when it comes to uh, debt and deficit spending. Uh, Erin, thank you so much for joining us today. Good luck down the stretch. Yeah, thank you, boy. Appreciate it. All right. And that's Aaron Ryder. Uh, she's running for Congress, Utah's 2nd Congressional District. And uh, that race will continue to, to be one of great interest. And I appreciate Aaron coming on the show today. And uh, and I appreciated that Aaron uh, took the time to to not dive into the politics of it all when it comes uh, to what happened in Texas yesterday. That's uh, That's great restraint. And I wish we saw that in more members of Congress and more politicians uh, you know, we watched some of that today with Beto O'Rourke, uh, you know, jumping a, uh, a press conference about a tragedy uh, for political purposes. Uh, and we just don't need that. So I appreciated Aaron's uh, very measured approach in terms of how do we do that so that we're honoring uh, the fallen and those that have died in a horrific scene uh, and their families and survivors and having a different kind of discussion, and that it's an and discussion. It's not an either or. It's not just Second Amendment or nothing. Uh, There's a host of things that we can get to, but we have to get to them. So thanks to Aaron Ryder for joining us on that. That wraps up hour number one of Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Stay with us. Much more hour number two after Top of the Hour News. We'll be right back. KSL FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City. Listen on any smart speaker and in your car at 102.7 FM. KSL News Radio, Utah's all day companion for news. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.